You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. We don't get to uh, speak a whole lot, and it's neat, nine years later, seeing someone from our college still uh, doing what they were trained to do and loving the Lord. That's great to see. Uh, Psalm 134, and uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, stand in honor of God's Word as we read these verses. It's only three verses here tonight. This is the second uh, shortest psalm in the entire Bible. Does anyone know the, the shortest one off the top of your head? Yeah, there you go. Okay, 117. So 134 is the second shortest one. And what we'll do here is we'll read uh, all the verses uh, out loud in unison, uh, starting with verse 1. Psalm 134, 1. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand by night, the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And bless the Lord, the Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. And let's pray, shall we? Father, please help me tonight. Please hide me behind the cross. Uh, you know what's in this sermon. I pray that you would take out what shouldn't be there, put in what should be, and uh, help us. Give us a blessing for coming tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so I don't know if you caught it there in the, uh, in the first couple verses here. Something, something is very easy to miss here in Psalm 134. You see that there in verse number 1, it's addressed to people who stand by night, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Okay, so it's not talked about a whole lot in the Bible. It's referencing the Old Testament priests who did not minister in the daytime, but were standing in the temple at night, who had the night shift. Okay, in 1 Chronicles 9.33, it talks about certain Levites, certain priests, who were employed night and day in the temple. Now, if you, know, if you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you read through all of the law, and you find out all the stuff that these priests did in the Old Testament, all of it, all of it refers to what they did in the daytime. So what is this verse talking about, right? What exactly did they do in the temple at night? And uh, in finding that out, there's going to be something for us. So what's this thing about the night shift? They weren't offering sacrifices, okay? They weren't ministering to the people, all right? So what were they doing? It's not highlighted a whole lot in Scripture. And what, was, what does the night shift mean to us? Once we understand this, uh, we'll understand, uh, once it's made clear, we're going to understand why the night shift is so vital. The night shift, okay, here's the whole sermon. The night shift is the service you do to God that no one sees. Okay? All of us have a night shift. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? The term night shift or graveyard shift Right when I introduced that term, that might have been a trigger word for some of you who've ever had to work the, the night shift or the graveyard shift. Has anyone had to, had to do this before? Okay, now here's the question. Uh, with people who have had to work the night shift, would any of you purposely choose the night shift, vers the night shift versus the day shift if the pay was the same? Is there anyone like that? 
There's always one or two. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess I have to say what's in my notes here. It's written down. It says, no sane person likes the night shift. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to go off script, right? <laughs> so many companies even have what's called a shift differential to pay people to do the night shift instead of the day shift. They're literally bribing people to do this shift because no one else wants to do it. Okay, um, so what exactly did the night shift mean to the Old Testament priests? What we know just a little bit from pieces here and there in the Bible and some Jewish tradition, uh, the priests were supposed to keep the lampstand lit. That's 1 Samuel 3.3. 3. Uh, they were supposed to keep the sacrifices burning. Certain sacrifices had to have that smell going up all night. Um, they were supposed to guard the gates. This was important because there was a lot of gold in the temple. <laughs> okay, and the nighttime is when, uh, when people would want to steal that. They sang praises to the Lord, and they meditated on God's word. Psalm 63, David said how much he looks forward to the night watches. That's the night shift. Okay, and then according to Jewish tradition, they also bathed and washed their garments for the next day. Now, notice, in that whole list... None of those things are performed in front of people, okay? It is really the only thing, the only audience of that priest in the night shift is God himself. It is the service that only he sees. No one's standing there clapping for him. No one sees it, but it's vital for that to happen, right? Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have a, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and sometimes I am the person that's sent to the grocery store to pick up the baby Tylenol at 3 a.m. And uh, if you've ever seen a store in the wee hours of the morning, okay, you will notice that it it looks like World War III happened. You go in there, and there are boxes everywhere, and there are all this stuff. No one is manning the, uh, the actual cash registers. There's just one little cash register with a blinking light that barely works, and you have to do jumping jacks to flag someone down to help you. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, um, if you, you don't have kids, have kids. You'll find out what I mean there. Okay, and, uh, and they're not there for the customers. Okay, those night shift workers are there to help the day shift workers who come behind them on the next shift, right? Okay, so, um, you know, the day shift workers come in and, you know, they just see all the shelves are just magically stocked somehow the next day. Some people don't even know that they have a night shift. But if you didn't have the night shift, after a while, you might, I mean, you might not notice it after a day, but you go a week without anyone stocking the shelves, anyone cleaning up the store, anyone doing any of that, and you're going to have bare shelves, and the, the whole store is not going to work or function, right? The night shift is very, very vital. Now, they're usually not the people that get raises or promotions because the boss is not there to see their work. <laughs> all they do, they, they see the work the next morning, all right? So if the night shift is being neglected, sooner or later, it's going to show up in the day shift. So uh, the day shift is the part that everyone sees. Uh, just like in church, the day shift is the public ministry. You know, if you sing in the choir, you sing a special, you teach a Sunday school class, that's, that's what people see. 
right? The night shift starts when you get in your car and you go home, right? Uh, this, this psalm here gives us, uh, in these three verses, it gives us, um, the, the whole summary is God gives us spiritual blessings to those who direct their unseen service to him through proper praise, service, and worship. So how, how does this apply to us, okay? We're talking about Old Testament people way back then in a temple in Jerusalem. How does that apply to us at all? And I'm glad you asked. So in 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 5, it says that uh, God calls us a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here, the New Testament identifies us with Old Testament priests, the same type of language used for them, uh, used in the temple. Again, that's, that's all Christians, okay? That's not just the priest in the Catholic Church that wears the backwards collar, right? Every single one of us, men and women included, are in the eyes of God priests. Now, what, what does that actually mean um, day to day, okay? Um, to be clear now, I need to be really clear about this. We're not talking about a literal night shift, okay? We don't, we're not talking about men and women who need to volunteer to guard the church at night and make sure no one steals things, right? Uh, we, we're, we're talking about it in a spiritual sense. So, Psalm 134.2, it mentions the, the sanctuary. We know that the sanctuary in the Old Testament, it wasn't just the temple, it was the Holy of Holies, Right? The, the place that only the high priest goes in once a year. That temple is destroyed. So, where is the holy place that God meets with us today? That's the question. Let me give you a little bit of background. God has always had a place where he has met with man. A specific place. Um, it's uh, what we call sacred space. All right. Initially, it was in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story, Adam and Eve? And they were given a specific place, and God walked with them in the cool of the day. And God's presence was in the garden. And we messed that up very quickly. God also put a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. You remember this? The tree of life was there. And the moment man sinned, close communion with God was restricted. Can't go in the garden anymore. You can't get the tree of life anymore. Uh, they wish they would have eaten that before, right? Uh, no, no tree of life because the sacred space where God meets with man had been defiled. Okay? Well, we'll get into what this means in a second. So Eden, the Garden of Eden, was the first place God met with man. The tree of life was representing life and God's presence. It was a symbol of that. Man messed it up. We're no longer allowed access but that was the original design where man would have clo a close walk with God all the time in that specific place. We fast forward years later. You get in the book of Exodus and you find a man named Moses in Midian on the backside of the desert. Okay? And God calls him out of a burning tree, a burning bush. And here is this tree and here is God's presence in that tree. And you remember the story when he calls Moses, he calls him from this burning tree. He says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. You can't defile this holy ground. You have to be holy when you're in my presence. 
it, that, that burning tree symbolized the presence of glory. And, and somehow um, it was a, a special thing, God calling Moses from there. Hang with me, I'm going here somewhere. Years later, the Lord gives Moses instructions on Mount Sinai. All right? He says, hey, Moses, I want you to uh, act this thing out, this thing about God's presence. Uh, in the temple, he gives him the plans for the temple. God, God in the temple had this lampstand. You remember? The lampstand was supposed to stand in the temple, and it was designed as, the, it was called the menorah. It had these branches that came out of it, right? And then they were lit. It was a, it was a burning tree, if you will. Okay, the same type of thing that Moses saw uh, on the mountain. It symbolized God's presence, this lampstand did. Uh, the very presence of God. And e even in the, in the temple, there were carvings of uh, palm trees. The priests wore uh, pomegranates on their, uh, on their robes. They're all symbols of the garden, the trees, the fruit. And it was hearkening back. It was symbolizing what they lost and what could be regained in the future. And it was this symbolic thing, this tabernacle saying, remember Eden? Remember what happened back then? Uh, here's how you get in the presence of God. Here are these symbols that were acting out. And the symbols weren't the real thing. They pointed to the real thing, okay? Uh, it showed how mankind could regain access to God. So just as one man, Adam, was created to be God's servant, so one man was designated the priest, okay? And he went one time a year on the Day of Atonement, and only in that specific place, at that specific time, that specific person could enter into God's presence. It was very limited, right? Um, these types of things were a, were a symbol for us, all right? It's almost like, uh, where, where am I here? It's almost like the, uh, the Easy Bake Oven, okay? The Easy Bake Oven you shouldn't actually try to cook on it, all right? It shows you how it works in concept, but it's not the real thing. It's like kids playing house. Like, they learn kind of how it works, but it's not the real thing. The tabernacle and all it symbolized and all that stuff that went on there wasn't the real thing, but symbolized the real thing. All right, thanks for hanging with me. We're almost there. So the sacred place where God walks and talks with man with power and glory, okay? In the beginning... Um, it, was the it was in the garden. In the time of Moses, it was the tabernacle. Then we get to the New Testament. And here comes Jesus in the book of John. He comes and says, uh, in John 1, 9, he says, Jesus is the light. He is that light, uh, that lampstand. He is the presence of God. He doesn't symbolize it. He is God himself uh, come uh, uh, present in our lives. He is life, John 1, 4. Just like the tree of life, was a symbol of everlasting life. Jesus himself was everlasting life. John 1.29 calls him the Lamb of God. Just like the tabernacle symbolized this sacrifice for all, he was that sacrifice for all, and it all pointed to him. And Jesus was where God dwelt with man uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him, okay, uh, believes in Jesus to save them from their sins, can be allowed entrance into the presence of God right now. But it doesn't stop there. This is where it gets exciting, okay? Jesus ascends to heaven, 
sends the Holy Spirit, promises the Holy Spirit. And the question is, where does God dwell now? All right, you're ready for this? One of the most far-reaching verses in the entire Bible. You may already have this memorized. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which we have of God? We, each and every one of us, okay, each and every one of us are the place where God personally walks and talks with power and glory. Everyone who has been saved. Now, it's an incredible opportunity. If we, if we took a time machine and grabbed someone from the Old Testament and said, do you, do you know that you know, we get access to God wherever, whenever, wherever we want? You'd be like, what? You do? It was that special thing that only once a year on the Day of Atonement, it's not, right now, what I'm saying is it's not in a specific place. We don't have to go to the Middle East to go find God. We don't have to wait one time a year. We have access all the time, anytime, anywhere, right now, into the presence of God, the, the whole purpose for which he was created in the first place in the Garden of Eden is available to you and me right now. It's incredible. Um, and and just, just to imagine the, um, the, the impact that that can make on our lives. So that's the lens through which we need to read the New Testament. Anytime that you find uh, in the New Testament uh, some of these things like offering, offer, priest, all of those things, sacrifice, that's priestly language. And we have to be looking through those lens. You follow me so far? Okay. So uh, in, in, the, uh, in the first and second verse, we see the word bless. What are we supposed to do as New Testament priests? What, what's our job? It, particularly now on the night shift. Verse 1 and 2, we are to bless. How are we to bless God? Um, the, words, the word occurs in each uh, verse in this psalm. Uh, the first two verses, we bless God. The last verse, he blesses us. What does it mean to bless God? I understand what it means for God to bless me, but how do we bless God? Um, it's almost like um, if you've ever used the, um, uh, used the expression, maybe you visited someone in the hospital and you said, we went out to be a blessing to them. And in fact, we were the ones that received the blessing. That's exactly what happens to us. Um, we need to, what, what it means to bless or what it means for God to bless us, okay, um, we'll, we'll get to what it, what, it, what it means more in a little bit about what it, what it means for us to bless God. But God's blessing on us, we are dependent on God's blessing, personally, socially, nationally. Without God's blessing, there is no hope for America. There is no hope for this church. There is no hope for me and you. We must have God's blessing. Um, we are incomplete without it. It's like trying to drive a car without an engine. We must have God's blessing in order to operate in the way that we need to. You say, Brother Jonathan, how do you know when, if you have God's blessing on you? You know if you have God's blessing. Say, oh, that's not helpful. No, no you... You know if God is giving you spiritual blessing or not. 
you'll know. Blessing is when God is at work in your life. Uh, maybe I'm confessing my sins here, but I remember the, the old uh, 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 movie, Angels in the Outfield. You remember that? Where the guy is up to bat and he doesn't know there's an angel uh, going to bat with him and he hits the you know, big uh, grand slam or homer or something. God's blessing is when he goes to bat with us. When we try to do God's work on our own, we don't hit the grand slam. We don't, uh, we, we don't operate very well. When God goes to bat with you, you know it. You see it uh, in your life and in your family. Being blessed is being gifted with everything one needs for life and everything that makes life beautiful and good. That's God's blessing. That's what I want, don't you? God's blessing. And there is a blessing, a specific blessing that comes in the night shift. Okay? Because we're told that we're priests in the eyes of God, we need to pay special attention, again, to words like holiness and priesthood, sacrifice, and so on. I think when we're, we don't like that word priest because the Roman Catholic Church has kind of ruined it for us, right? Uh, but it's a Bible word. It doesn't refer to a specific office. It refers to all of us. Okay, now how do we get blessed and be blessed? The, the meaning of blessing in verse number 1 and 2 is kind of synonymous with praise. We know that because of chapter 135, it mentions, O ye servants of the Lord, and it's talking about praise. So when, when we are blessing God, we are praising Him. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're saying. So one of the jobs that we have to do on the night shift when no one sees, when it's just us and the Lord, is to praise his name. Um, one man pointed out that um, blessing God and him blessing us is very lopsided, right? Uh, it's, it's, not the, it's not the same thing. So to bless God is to acknowledge gratefully who he is, but to bless man God must make of him what he is not and give him what he has not. You following me? I would much rather have God's blessing. Uh, you, you, you kind of follow what I'm saying. So what, is the, what should be the object of our praise and our blessing? Notice that in these little three verses, the name the Lord is mentioned five times in all three verses. Um, it's, it's mentioned. It shows you that the focus of our praise, of our worship, of our duty, and our sacrifice to God is for Him. Now, that should be pretty obvious, but, but sometimes I fear that it's not. The focus of our worship to God, okay, when the focus is us in our service and what people think of me when I'm, say, up on a platform teaching a Sunday school class, when I'm you know, I'm, I'm really focused on what people think of me, um, how they think I did, and, you know, it's all, about, it's all about me, how much of an affront that is to God. The entire purpose of worship is about Him and not us. You, you follow what I'm saying? Um, the, here, listen to this quote here um, from, from a commentator. The unspoken but increasingly common assumption of today's Christendom is that worship is primarily for us to meet our needs. 
Such worship services are entertainment-focused, and the worshipers are uncommitted spectators who are silently grading their performance. And sometimes you even hear those secular performance words in describing a worship service. This is the stage. These are not singers, they're vocalists. And when we get done with the service, uh, people congratulate us on our performance. Uh, some, some Christian music even gives out uh, awards for worship music. As if, as if it's about us and not about him, you see? When, when we are on the night shift, when we leave public ministry, it has to be about God for it to count for anything. Amen. So sometimes um, you know that you're directing your praise to God when you don't feel the need to be praised by others. We're, we're all very susceptible to this, you know? Um, people preach a sermon and they're going home and they're just waiting and hoping the, uh, the wife uh, says what a great sermon that was. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to to flip that switch and understand it really is all about God. Sometimes we catch ourselves kind of dropping hints about how good we did, (laughs) okay? Like if you're uh, in a Sunday school class or something, uh, you might have heard someone say, uh, yeah, my blessing for today was, I'm so grateful that the Lord allowed me to pay for so-and-so's way to camp, and uh, I'm just so grateful that God allowed me to to be such a blessing uh, to them. You know, as if it's about God, right? Uh, or um, I have another blessing. Uh, the other day I noticed the, bas- the bathroom trash wasn't emptied, and so I emptied it. It was inconvenient for me, but I'm glad I was able to be a, a blessing to the Lord. Are, are you seeing what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? But sometimes whether we say it or not, that's kind of what we're feeling. And what I'm saying is, if we let this thing about being a priest, a New Testament priest sink in, it is service to God. Imagine an Old Testament priest thinking, I'm doing all these sacrifices and everything, so I will look good. Like, it's totally beside the point uh, as to what his vocation is. So we talked about blessing. Next, what are we supposed to do on the night shift? We're supposed to serve or uh, service In verse number one, it talks about servants of the Lord. Serving as to the Lord is the New Testament concept. You find that over and over, this phrase, as to the Lord. And we'll talk about that in just a second. To stand before, in this verse, is talking, that's servant language. It means to put oneself in the position of a servant. All right? When we worship and minister in the presence of people, we're able to fool them. They don't know if we're filled with the Spirit or not, right? They don't know our motives, um, but God does. And so here's the quote. No one, can tell if, uh, no one can tell how full your gas tank is by how loud you honk the horn, right? God knows our hearts. He knows our motives, and he knows if we're actually doing our service to him or not. God alone knows. Um, the story is told about a, a man, his name was Helmut Tielicke. He was a, um, lived in the 1930s, 1940s. He was a hospital chaplain. And he uh, took notice of this nurse, this particular nurse that was going from room to room. And she was just extraordinary, over the top with her service towards these people. 
Um, you know, she would hold, hold the hands of people that were dying or in pain. She'd read to people who had no visitors that were coming in. She'd take no breaks. She'd really knock herself out um, in her job as a nurse. And uh, this man, uh, Helmut Tilica, he came to her and he was just so impressed. And he sat her down and he said, um, I just want to thank you for your incredible care. And he asked her, do you ever grow tired or get exhausted? you know, not being thanked in this job? And she said, not at all. And he was kind of surprised. And she said, in fact, every night I'm adding to jewels in my crown. And that took him, that took him aback a little bit. And he said, I don't understand what you mean. And she said, well, the Lord's promised to reward us for good deeds. And by my tally, if it's right, I have now 1,374 jewels in my crown. You understand how subtle that is. Sometimes in our service to God, right, we're now seeing this lady through a different, different eyes, right? Her night shift service for the Lord was not for the Lord. It was for her. And, and sometimes we, we're not even aware of it, just like Samson wasn't aware. He wasn't filled with the Spirit. He tries to do something in his own strength. And Sometimes we just don't understand that we're being self-absorbed um, in, our, in our motives. So in Ephesians 6, 7, it says, With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. Uh, Colossians 3, 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. What's the phrase? As to the Lord. Uh, in Ephesians 5, 22, Wives are su- to submit to their own husband. As to the Lord. How do you follow an imperfect, flawed leader? You follow as to the Lord. You're not doing it for your leader. You're doing it for God. Okay? Uh, In Ephesians 6, 1, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Meaning, as to the Lord. In any leadership uh, follower role, all, all of us usually are under somebody at work, and the government, in the church, in the family, whatever, and usually some of us lead other people too. We're always submitting to somebody. And unless it's God himself, those somebodies are imperfect beings that have faults. How can you possibly follow someone who's not perfect? You do it as to the Lord. Okay, now get this. This is really neat here. In, in Titus 2.3... It talks about um, the aged, it says the aged women likewise, it's giving instructions, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, and it, and it goes on and on in the list. In behavior as becometh holiness is just one word uh, in the original language, and it's a compound word made up of, of two words, right? The first word is the word for temple, And the second word is the word for to be fitting. It literally means conduct appropriate to temple worship. It's the only occurrence in the entire New Testament, okay? And one dictionary puts it like this. It's like those employed in sacred service in a temple. And you notice who it's describing? Women who are not working outside of the home that are homemakers. And it's saying that service done to the Lord is as if you are a holy priestess in a temple offering literal sacrifices to God himself. Whew. 
you're saying, okay, Brother Jonathan, are you saying that, you know, um, what, what, what a difference it would make, okay? The, 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 the change in our mind. You can literally change a diaper as to the Lord. In every single act in your workplace, in, uh, in your marriage, in whatever, if you do something heartily as to the Lord, we're talking in priestly language now, it's now a holy sacrifice done to him. Imagine us putting on these glasses now, okay, looking through these lenses and how much that would change. What would change if you performed mundane tasks in your life as if we are God's priests performing the task as a holy sacrifice to God? Would our work ethic change? Would we cheat on our taxes? All right? Um, All these little things that we don't put the effort in on on our mundane roles, if we look at it in a new light and we direct it to God, all of life changes. It is that impactful uh, to understand uh, this whole idea. I'm going to wrap up and, and skip a bunch of stuff here. The, the other thing about service is that God demands our best. All right, Just a, a little bit of a, a, a cursory reading in the Old Testament about the laws Certain people weren't supposed to give exactly the same thing as the next guy. It depended on what they could do. But they, sh- but they were commanded to do their best. Meaning, you are not compared to the guy sitting next to you as to what they can do for God. You are compared as to what you can do for God. Um, in the Old Testament, it was their best, not someone else's best. Remember the story of the widow? She gave two mites, Right? Um, that was her best. That was her all. Some of you, you have ended the day shift, okay? What do I mean by that? Some of you, you for, for whatever reason, maybe it's chronic illness, it's, it's age, it's, it's something else, you're not in public ministry a whole lot anymore. And if you're not careful, you kind of think, well, I guess that's it for me. You know, I, I can't really do anything for the Lord that counts anymore. And what has happened is that you got, your, you got your time card for the week, and it says you're now on the night shift. It means that you have now an incredible opportunity to pray for the people on the day shift, right? So instead of watching Hallmark for 20 hours a day and, and, and feeling real sorry about ourselves, we can do the thing that no one sees. We're restocking the spiritual shelves. We are, we are begging God for power for the pastor, for the workers that are doing things. And, and you can tell again when God's blessing is on a place, when God's blessing is in your family. And how do you get that? It's the time spent agonizing in prayer in the night shift, something everyone can do. It's... It's a thing where only those on the night shift would know if their service is counting for something. Here's what I mean. You know, uh, over the next, you know, you, you, you start working on this night shift and the thing of prayer, and suddenly people just start coming into the, uh, 
into the church that no one even invited. Hey, I saw, I saw your sign on the road, and I don't know why I came on in. And, and just good things are happening, and the people on the day shift are like, man, you know, it's such a coincidence that, you know, great things are happening around here. It's like, you know, magically the store shelves are now stocked again. What I'm trying to say is that this thing of prayer, this thing of private encouragement to people, and the thing that no one sees at all might be the most vital ministry of the entire church. You see? We'll end, we'll end with this here. How does God bless us then? It says in verse 3, he blesses us out of Zion. Zion's the place where God dwells with man. Okay? It's not the temple in Jerusalem. Um, in Hebrews 12.22 it says, But ye are come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Psalm 133.3 it says, Mount Zion's the place where the Lord commanded blessing, even life forevermore. The blessing we receive, the ultimate blessing from God, is life evermore, eternal salvation. Okay? But how do we get that gift, that blessing of eternal salvation? We get access to God to, again, walk with Him and know Him and experience His glory. Why? Get this here. Because Jesus endured the night shift for us. The cross was the night shift duty no one wanted and no one could actually do if they wanted to do it. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was that night shift. He briefly shrank away from drinking that cup of suffering, but then he drank it all the way up to the dregs of Calvary and took that night shift that we could not endure for us. He took the night shift so that we could see the dawn. We are only imitating the ultimate example of what Jesus did for us. He has given us the power in the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do, whether it's in front of people or not. Uh, I'm going to uh, end with just this, just this application here. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says that eventually, on Judgment Day, God's going to reveal the hidden things in darkness. And he's going to make manifest the counsel of the hearts, and then every man shall have praise of God. Even though we don't serve God for recognition, one day God's going to reveal everything that you did on the night shift. And he's going to unveil um, for you all the things that you did for him, even though no one saw it. And it's going to be his way of saying, well done. We ought to embrace our night shift instead of think it's a, thinking it's a disability on us. And maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. God invites you into his presence. For, that, for us who have at least tasted that, um, it makes us more thirsty for more. And we want to say, hop on board if, you, if you've never accepted Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.